Hello and welcome to the September 13th edition of Three Songs. This is Mike Hogan. I'm here with Bob Nastanovich. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. I just saw a great Sherry Glazer show in downtown Des Moines. Really awesome. good band. They definitely deliver, so if you get a chance to see that band, Sherry Glazer, they're a, a young band from L.A., and they've got great songs, and they play a great live show. Total energy. Nice. Nice. Maybe you'll have to bring one of their songs as one of your songs sometime. Yeah, I will. Well, before we get to the three songs that each of us brought today, uh, there, there are two things that I want to say about last week's, or last week's, last, because only two days ago, the, the last show. Uh, one, yeah, I we're re- firing them in there. Yeah. We're firing them in there. I because, re- like, you know, who knows, we, you know, there might be a hiatus at some That's point right. due to our... That's right. Schedules. We have weird schedules, so we do them when we can, and we get two in two days. This is good. Uh, so I noticed that all three of my songs, Bill Fay, Bill Ryder Jones, and The Mice, who's led by Bill Fox, were all singer, songwriter, musicians fronted by Bills, which was weird. Completely unintended. So, yeah, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Do- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I noticed, I realized, you know, it's a, we were talking about Bill Fay being sort of lost to history and undiscovered. What I realized, and, and I did that with with, with uh, Elizabeth Cotton. Uh, there's some others that I want to play in other shows. It's sort of like the Nick Drake thing, right? You know, where... The music is out there, and it completely flops, and then he becomes a legend after his time. It's like the world wasn't ready for Nick Drake at the time. The world wasn't ready for Bill Fay at the time. I like those musicians. So you'll hear me. I'll bring a lot of those those kinds of artists to the show. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Uh, Mr. Ghost likes it, too. He's present. Yeah. Yeah, he's a learner. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get start. Let's dive in. Um, you brought one. We're starting the show with with something I hadn't heard before. I mean, I'm f- of course familiar with her, uh, but not really as a solo artist. So tell me about the Kim Deal song you picked. Well, Kim, you know, obviously is extremely well known for her incredible work with the Pixies and the Breeders. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. And a true rock and roll legend, and a just—I mean, I love her. And what I guess, like at, at this point in her career, she's still interested in making music, or she still has some sort of drive, or maybe when she's bored, she—I imagine somebody like, like that who's written so many great songs, just like you know, feels like she still has songs in her. And I'm obviously I don't know her personally well enough to know what she's doing or you know why she's doing what she does now. But I guess what she's decided to do is you know when she feels like she's got some songs, and this is a guess, she just makes them and self-releases them on her own label. And um, I appreciate that from my perspective because although I can't write songs, I sort of. I've started doing the same thing again because I've found out that you can put out a small edition of seven inch records for a very affordable price and 
in my case, after recently putting on a Swerve on 7-inch, a great band from Kansas City, and next up, I've got a really cool band from here in Des Moines called Odd Pets, and that'll come out in Thanksgiving on my broker's tip records, that the opportunity is there when you, you know, you feel like you've got something to put out to just go ahead and put it out. And so somebody like Kim obviously can put out a seven inch and she's going to sell them. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't think she's really interested in profit margins or being a part of the industry or maybe it's between projects for her, or maybe it's just something she likes to do. But I bought a few of them, and uh, this is the A side of the one that came out in 2012. And the ones I've heard are all really cool, and they're very much in the Kim Deal mold. It's not going to sound like a departure from any of the brilliant work that we know her for. Um, but uh, this song here is... A song in particular that I really love, and um, I just think I just think it's great that she's still going. Awesome. Well, let's hear it. It's called "Walking with a Killer," and I think this one came out what about four or five years ago. This was the first. Yeah, 2012. 2012 yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned she started a. I don't know if it, series is maybe not quite the right term, but she released a number of just seven inches on her own label. And yeah, I think she just does them periodically, and it, I don't think the label even has a name. Like Kim Deal Music or something. But this was yeah. the first one, right? She like completely unannounced, out of the blue. All of a sudden, she just announces, here we go. Here's Yeah, and she contacts musicians that you know she likes to play with. Like I know Britt Walford from, from Slit, who also played in the Breeders, plays on one. Not on this one, a different one. And, you know, I mean... Kim knows some really cool musicians, I'm sure. So she just contacts people and says, "Hey, like I've got a few songs. Do you want to record them with me?" And then, she, you know, they make a record. So, um, whatever she's doing, I'm happy she's doing stuff. All right. Well, let's hear it. Kim Deal walking with a killer on the Three Songs podcast.
That's cool. Yeah, so there she is. She's still at it. That's a cool song. I really like that. I hadn't heard that before. It's groovy. I like the atmosphere. It's kind of mellow and, you know, just similar to what, you, like you said, it's no departure from what I would expect, but it just, it felt good. And I really, really liked the noise guitar that would break it up at times. Complete. Yeah, I don't know who played that. Yeah, I mean, she might have it herself, but yeah, I don't know who played that. But Com- yeah, it's a cool guitar. Completely it, unexpected. It goes along nice with that, just very simple rhythm section, classic, you know, walk along bass line that like anybody who's played the bass, other than you or me, for a few months could play. <laughs> right, <clears throat> right. And, you know, going back to what you said about just putting records out yourself, you doing it, she's doing it, that's one of the things that really, when I first got into punk rock, that was one of the things that resonated so much with me, and especially with a band like the Minutemen, 
who I'm, I'm sure we will talk about in depth on some future shows. Uh, but it was really that idea of just doing it yourself. You don't need to go to school. You don't need to study. You don't need to hope that a record label is going to pay attention to you and throw some money at you and get you into a studio. It's just like, no. Record your songs. Make your songs. Put them out yourself. We talked about K Records doing it. We talked a little bit about Discord doing it. That's the sort of thing that always motivated me. It was, you know, the music was important too, but it was also just that that do-it-yourself ethos that really made me feel like this was a scene. This was more than just people playing music. And when did you start doing it? I, I put out my first record in 91, 92, I think. And, and like, were they friends of yours? Who was your first release? Uh, it was actually Lou Barlow. Uh, okay. Yeah, I just kind of reached out. and But that the first thing I put out was not... Was, was it not, a 7-inch? It was a 7-inch. That wasn't what, what started the label for me. Well, you know, I, I didn't realize we were going to go this path, but we, we can't. I mean, you know, the, the, the reason why I started... Well, no, I'm saying you've done it too, and I think I it's have. important to note that. I have, yeah. Well, and the reason why I started the label was... Just out of the blue, you know, people were putting out all these tribute records. You know, there was a Tom Petty one. There was, you know, just all of them. The REM one. They were they were coming out seemingly every month. There was a different band that was getting a tribute record. And I just said in passing, <laughs> someone should do a tribute record to the Minutemen. Uh, and this friend of mine who worked at a small record label back then and knew some bands took that to mean that I was doing it. So she went and told three or four different bands, oh, you know, this friend of mine's doing a tribute record to the Minutemen. And out of the blue, I had multiple people come up to me and say, hey, I'm recording a song for your record. And they actually did it, and they gave me songs. And I said, oh, gee, I guess I, I, guess I better actually put out a record now. Yeah. So, so what did you do, contact a... Who'd you contact? So then I just started contacting a bunch of people and said, "Hey, would you be interested?" It's just like, and it was and back. You got a call, like you got a, like you had to call, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. This yeah. was this was pre-email days. You know, this was yeah. ninety. Was it like you could just get on Facebook or right. like you know, right. da, 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 da. right? Yeah. It was like you. And it was back when I worked for a radio station, and so I knew record labels, and so I would call a record label and say, "Hey, can you get me the manager for you know this band?" And and, and most would oblige. And everybody was very friendly. So you had a little bit of a network. A little bit of a network that helped, but uh, but yeah. So that's my story. Yeah, and you put out how? And you put, it was a ten-year run. About that, yeah. I put out seven and inches. Refresh our listeners' name on the name of the label. Little Brother Records. I put out. Yeah. I put out like fifteen, sixteen different releases, CDs to seven inches to you know. LPs and you name it. No, you're still harboring any of your stock oh, at yeah. home? Oh, yeah. 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 It's available on Discogs if anybody's curious. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out on Discogs. Yeah. Let's move some units, Mikey. Let's do it now. <laughs> you know, know, whatever. Us little people... guys have got to move the units. That's right. If people want <laughs> it, they can find it. Well, let's, yeah. talk, let's talk music. You need room in your pad. That's right. So I came with a theme today, Bob. My three songs all have a theme. 
And I think These I told artists that you like like to put out on Little Brother. Well, yeah, I mean that's kind of the general <laughs> theme for <laughs> for every song I bring. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that about. I'm kind of figuring out your theme is like. These are artists that I would have loved to put out a little brother when I when it was going. Yeah, well, and that was the whole thing. I mean, I had no approach. It wasn't like a oh, the stuff that I released was all over the place, and it was the only connection was it had it was stuff that I liked. Uh, so, and that's sort of what this podcast, at least for me, is about. It's stuff that I like. So, but my spe- I have a very specific theme today with my three songs here it, they're not just new zealand bands they're not just bands related to the flying nun label they're three songs that were led written by sung by and led by one mr shane carter who's still around still making music he's been in a bunch of different bands the first band he was ever in he was in high school i think it was he was, he was in a band called board games b-o-r-e-d get it Board yeah, games. I like that. And, yeah. what, and what year are we talking about? Oh, God, I got to guess. Early Late 80s? No, this is early 80s. Um, this yeah. is, they released a Flying Nun EP. Because I know his last stand was in Dimmer, he's, and he's still done work since Dimmer, he which has. is like mid-90s. Well, it was even later. Uh, he put out an album this year, Shane P. Carter. Look it up. It's um, piano-based. It's He kind of went the Paul Weller route. Um toned down went more full-on singer songwriter it's not the greatest work that he's done but it's you know it's still not bad um but yeah his earlier stuff you know 4ad or not 4ad uh, flying nun uh put out an ep in board games then they split up and then he got back together with a guy that he was in board games with um wayne elsley and they formed the Double Happies, which is the, the first band of his that I'm going to play. The Double Happies put out uh, a record in 1985, uh, and when they were on tour in 85, unfortunately, Wayne was killed in a freak train accident. Um, oh, God. Yeah, so that was the end of the Double Happies. Um, but they, uh, and they didn't release much, uh, but what they released is pretty cool. And this is, this is a song from that. It's called Other's Way. It's pretty, it's pretty catchy, pretty poppy. They also did some noisier stuff and more rocky stuff. But this is, this is just a and song. And Shane, Shane is most famous for his work in Straight Jacket Fitch. You're going to play one of those too, right? Yes, that, that's the last of my three, three songs. We're, okay. we're, we're going through... Uh, chronologically, so we're starting in '85 with Double Happies. We'll we'll end with some straight jacket fits, at least for me. But uh, but yeah, I have no theme. That's okay. Not yet. It's okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring themes. I might tell you in advance, and if you want to play along with the theme, you're welcome to. Or if you want to diverge and do your own thing, you know, there's no rules here. It's just three songs. Well, I threw in a New Zealand song. Yeah, you did. You did. amazingly one I'd never heard before, but we'll get to that after this. This is the Double Happies with Others Way from 1985. You only have never tried. 
Shane Carter and the Double Happies. Now, Shane, was Shane playing the guitar in that? Shane was playing the guitar and singing. One of the things I love about that is just the, I mean, it's a very catchy song. And, you know, the line, if you want to know the meaning of meaningless, then I'll see you on the 7th of May. Like that song, for whatever reason, I don't even know what the line means, but that line gets stuck in my head. But even aside yeah. from how catchy that is, uh, I just love like the weird almost psychedelic guitar throughout that whole song, which is... Yeah, it reminds me of Alec Bathgate from yeah. Toy Love. Right. Yeah, for sure. Dwarfs. For sure. <clears throat> you know, and, and Maybe they played together. I think like, they did. I think, I think Board Games, um, they got their first live show. It was either Toy Love or The Enemy, um, opening for, yeah. for, for, you know, of course, pre- Tall Dwarves bands. Um, that See, like, there's so many themes that we could do. In, yeah. You know, I mean, maybe when you do the Tall Dwarves, you actually do a a three songs of not just Tall Dwarves, but of Knox or Bathgate, you know, telling their I'm a story. sprinkler, though. I'm going to sprinkle. Okay, you can sprinkle. Do whatever you got to do, Bob. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the that's the double happies. Uh, I'm gonna keep it. Yeah, I loved it. I'm gonna keep it in New Zealand, and I'm gonna play someone way more old school. Yeah, I Billy never TK. heard. He's a legendary Maori guitarist who yeah. was born. I think I'd have to guess around 50. He's still alive. As far as I know, he's doing work up until the last few years, and um, this is one of his first acts, Human Instinct. And uh, it's a wonderful record. He's generally known, like he's generally categorized as like New Zealand's answer to Jimi Hendrix. That's been pinned on him, and that, and which is, I mean, that's not a bad comparison, right? I mean, he's a. I mean, you'll be able to tell, you know, that 
like I'm sure people who listen to this will be like, wow, this sounds quite a bit like Hendrix. Um, but to me, it's just a fantastic hard rock song. And he's the kind of guy in the early 70s that was playing in he had a house gig three days a week in a small club, you know, and that's the way things worked, I guess, you know, like probably made 50 bucks to show up with his band and right. Kick some butt. So, and this is, this is an example of what they were doing. It's great. This is human instinct from, uh, this is their first album, right? So this is, this is, I mean, as much as I love New Zealand music, I'd never heard them. Um, this is, their first this is from the Burning Up Years, um, is the name of the album, right. and uh, and that was their first. It was re-released right? like twenty years ago. I think I bought it. It was re-released in a really pretty box set, which was sort of you know one of these great things where if you've never heard of anybody, you can get the whole completest deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I bought that thing, and yeah, I reached for it. And, love this song in particular but there's a bunch of great music on it but originally it came out in 69 right either that or the early 70s yeah right around there yeah so i I think you know the jimmy jimmy hendrix comparison you know in some ways obviously uh, the other side of the world but in some ways he was a contemporary i imagine hendrix was unaware of him yeah (laughs) probably (laughs) But yeah. <laughs> then maybe he was unaware of Hendrix. Yeah, who knows? It well, is. let's let's check it out. Human instinct. I think, I think that Shane is is half Maori. Interesting. I did I not believe know that. he is. I wouldn't doubt and, it. Yeah. Well, Billy's Billy's top and bottom Maori. He's a full on Maori <laughs> superstar. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear it. Human instinct. Maiden voyage. Rock out. Thank you. 
Yeah. There you go. Good. You're bringing the rock, Bob. Yeah, it's kind of a smoker. It's kind of um, interesting to think that quite possibly the day or night that you were conceived that Billy and his band, The Human Instinct, were playing at the Bo Peep Club in, in Auckland. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, and then, like, I'm sure, like, I'm gonna take a quick look at his Wikipedia page. Um, his his next band in '72, Billy TK's Powerhouse, bands like Black Sabbath, Split Ends, John Mayall, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, UB40, Joe Satriani, and Neville Brothers would go down to New Zealand, and this guy would open for them. And it must have been like walking on hot coals after his act, right? Seriously, because I got to like, imagine live, that's pretty, just amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> would have been a lot of fun. Right, right, for sure. Well, thanks. I had never heard them before, so I'm going to have to do a little digging now. Yeah, I'll send you some stuff. Okay, thanks. All right. Hi. Well, of course, we're staying in New Zealand, right? Because I'm yeah. I'm playing only Shane Carter related stuff tonight, and this next one is a single, and it's a collaboration. So after Wayne Elsley died, Double Happies did not go on. They broke up, and um, Shane collaborated with Peter Jeffries from nocturnal projections and this kind of punishment and later a bunch of really fantastic solo records and they put out a couple seven inches the first one came out uh, i think a year later a year after uh, the double happies ended and the song i'm going to play is actually about um wayne elsley dying it's called randolph's go- yeah yeah no seriously uh it's called randolph's go- going home um it's but it's 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 a beautiful tribute in a lot of ways uh, to his friend, childhood friend and bandmate, um, and it's just a really good song. I mean, it's 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 also a bit of a departure compared to the stuff from the Double Happies. You, it, it sounds different, um, and maybe that was Peter Jeffrey's influence. Maybe it was just he he needed to do more of a stripped down approach for this, but either way, it's, 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 it's one of my favorite flying nun seven inches. Uh, and it's great label. Yeah. It's probably the one, this is the one I said, I want to play this. And then I said, Oh, you know, I also wanted to play straight jacket fits and Oh, maybe we should play, you know, but it was, it was, this is the, the one of the three that I said, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this one to the next show. So, uh, yes. And and maybe uh, in a future show I'll do the same thing that I'm doing with Shane. I'll do I'll do for Peter Jeffries who plays drums on this and um, just do whatever you want. He's an amazing musician in his own right. But um, but let's let's hear it. Randolph's going home. Shane Carter and Peter Jeffries from 1986 on the Flying Nun label.
You'd heard that song before, right, Bob? I have. Yeah. Not in a long time. Yeah. It's kind of a reset button for Shane, I think, after the Double Happies. I mean, compared to the song we heard before, which came about a year prior, or less than a year, maybe. Very haunting. and Yeah. And like, I mean, the subject matter is... You know, heavy vibes. Obviously, it's a very emotional recording session for the guy. Well, for sure, but it's also, you know, I mean, it's like none of the studio trickery, none of the psychedelic guitar, like really, really simple, straight, heavy rock, you know. Yeah, it wasn't part of the game. There's no, you know, yeah. just like Clean and Chills Verlaine's, there's, you know, it's all pretty straight there's no need for tricks right yeah but you know it's it's uh part of what i wanted to do here was show a little bit of his evolution and it's you know it's clearly the same guy but it sounds in a lot of ways like a completely you know it's hard looking back on it to believe that there was only a year between those two songs yeah i mean well when one of your best mates dies in the in the interim yeah and and then just you decide to keep on going, then I think that you could hear that right. difference. Right. It had to be catharsis for him too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anyways, we're gonna listen to a different kind of cathartic now. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know, Sonic Youth, a band that I think just about everybody knows or has heard of. Um, right. And if you haven't, pause this. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm just saying like... Uh, <laughs> Go listen to a I bunch mean, of Sonic I Youth. I wasn't cool enough to, to buy this when it came out. It came out in yeah. 83. It was on their first record, Confusion of Sex. The first Sonic Youth album I bought was Evil which came out in 86, so... You were still cooler than me. The first one I bought was um, Daydream Nation, so... Yeah, well, I mean, I was a college radio DJ in the mid to, mid to late 80s, so Evil and Sister were right heavy we, rotation, okay? And they're the first SST records, and Steve Shelley had joined the band, and, and they were sort of less of a art project band and more of like a full-on rock band and they were representing new york in the very southern california dominated at the time sst scene so they were like the east coast band on mm-hmm. sst mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so when you go back and you listen to confusion and sex from 83 and and bad moon rising from 85 which was on homestead this one was on Neutral, which I'm completely unaware of their history as a label. I think it was just a little New York label. Wasn't that and was they, that Glenn Branca's label? Might have been. I think it was. Yeah, because he yeah he was friends with them, and uh, and this was with Bob Burt and the band who went on to be the drummer in Pussy Galore, a guy that lived in my neighborhood in Hoboken when I was there, and um, I mean Shelley was a completely different kind of drummer so when Shelly came into the band when I first started listening to the band he's like you know one of the greatest drummers of all time in my opinion Steve and he kind of um, he he brought their whole sound together mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not saying that what Bob Burt did wasn't incredibly brilliant 
it was just you know a different kind of drummer a different kind of band so this is like the first song when i went back and listened to the sonic youth that i didn't know because i was 16 when this came out and i was way more into echo and the buddy man and new water and rem and tons of other things i had stumbled across sonic youth and and this is a song that really made a huge impact on me and and made me start loving all their early stuff nice love the lyrics and um i mean they're kind of hard to explain they're kind of a typically vague set of lyrics right um but uh, it's a great punk rock song it is, and you know, for me, it's very New York '83, very New York '83. Yeah, well, and this this album's fantastic, um, and for me, especially the early stuff, but really all of Sonic Youth, I always think of them as as much of a song band. They were a sound band. Oh, and, very much so. You yeah. know, and they they it, it was really the feel of the sounds and the experiments of the sounds, but this is. This is especially for one of the earlier songs. This is one where it kind of comes together. It's it's both a very cohesive and tight little song at the same time that they're experimenting within the song structure with different sounds. Um, and you know, sometimes they do one or the other, uh, but that's one of the things that stands out for me with this song is. Uh, it's just a it's a really cool song and it's got some really cool different things going on in it yeah i mean it's like less art rock and more rock to me it's yeah. it's like yeah. it's more like p rock you know and like yeah. it's more it's more punk and and um i don't really know much about the history behind it i've never asked any of them right um but let's just listen to it let's listen to it uh, the World Looks Red, Sonic Youth from Confusion is Sex 1983. Here we go. Thank you. 
Sonic Youth. <laughs> Beautiful. With fish eyes, the ground sucks. I always yeah. thought that was um, people who criticize the ground suck, <laughs> but it's people with fish eyes, the ground sucks, which is just as good. Yeah. I've talked about that before. Like when you're trying to hear lyrics or, you know, when you're not looking at lyric sheets, like you kind of like make your own lyrics. And I, I thought that Thurston always sang, the people who criticize the ground suck. <laughs> but it's pe- people with fish eyes, the ground sucks. Uh, that's funny. I have some pavement lyrics like that we'll have to talk about sometime. But, uh, <laughs> and all gibberish. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not really. Some of them are good. No, they're yeah. all good. Yeah. I mean. For sure. For sure. You know, scribbled notes. Right. And, um, right. You know, at least as far as Thurston goes, um, and Steven, like, those are, I think it was similar style in terms of lyrics. Well, it's kind so of modern poetry. talking about Steven Malkmus from Pavement and right. Thurston from Sonic Youth. Like, right. I think they actually make words that fit what they're doing with the rest of the music a lot of the time. Right, the know. words become another instrument. R.E.M., of course, did that, mm-hmm. you know, because... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great bands, too. But the thing that strikes me, I mean, you mentioned that song as being a bit of a punk rock song, which is true. I mean, especially, it's a very driving, it's very, you know, vocally, rhythmically. But the thing that stands out to me is the guitars. The guitars are so completely different from anything that was going on in punk rock in 1983. And and I use well, the word... Well, on a tune, like... You know, well, well, yeah, but like in a beautiful way, like in a completely beautiful way, like they were exploring this area that just was like completely unheard and sounded like nothing else at the time. Uh, you know, and, and sure, there were well, other... Well, you mentioned like Glenn Bronco before, like I know right. Lee Ronaldo, like, I mean, they just definitely were taking a guitar and doing what they wanted with it right you know, sticking drumsticks in it just like abusing guitars you know right and yeah, um yeah they were taking you know of course the no wave and contemporary classical and they were using a lot of those influences but they were blending it in a way that um was was kind of they unique. were taking they were taking electric guitars and just like taking them out of their usual mold and making them like their own things right yeah so, like, you'll see, like, for example, we listened to Billy TK earlier. Like, he was, you know, traditionally brilliant hot licks guitarist, still is, you know. Yeah. And these guys, like, I think both of them can play, but, like, at the same time, like, that's not what they were looking at using their guitars for. Right. Right. But they, they, they were creating a new language in a way. Yeah, and I think that there's a you know a lot of really interesting guitars that have followed suit. We don't have time to name them. We'll get into that in future shows, but you know that have done the same thing, inventing their own tunings and like um, right. just manipulating the guitar in their own way to make it their own individual instrument. Right. Well, and it goes back to something I was saying earlier. It's another. It's another aspect of the do-it-yourself. You know, I mean, 
there are a number of ways and paths in music. You can take the classically trained route. You can take the lessons for years and studying for years and sitting in your basement. You, you know, you can you can do it yourself. And Sonic Youth doing it yourself is completely different from the Minutemen doing it yourself or even Kim Deal doing it yourself. You know, it's like there's... There's not one blueprint for any of it, which is what's so great about it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, being inventive is what leads to brilliance, I guess. Right, know. right. And, and being... Again, we're, again, you're listening to two non-songwriters. <laughs> but we appreciate no, it, though. I That's the thing. Cowbell. We appreciate know, so. it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you got to admit, you've tried, and you realize well, no, how I've hard it is. Well, no, I guitar and, like, right. you know... Right. And... I, I don't know what to do with it, you know. Right. right. I I played guitar, you know. Like I've never actually made anything that any, anybody would ever want to listen to, you know. I, you know. I mean, have you have you tried to play guitar? Yes. Yeah. And do you know? Can you do like little basic things? Mm, a few, a few chords. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. I can't do yeah. any of that. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's it's. Best un, best left unheard. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. Jeez Louise. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up with my last song. This is from the Straight Jacket Fits, who we mentioned earlier. It's the band that uh, Shane Carter formed after he put out that seven inch we just played prior to Sonic Youth. Randolph's going home. He he. he Formed Straight Jacket Fits. They put out a few records. This is from their second LP. Came out in 1990. Uh, at least in the U.S., it was it was on a major label, which is amazing. It got which one? Uh, Arista, which is Ooh. not what you'd expect at all. Home Arista. of Arista. Yeah, home of um, Whitney Houston at the time. <laughs> uh, and, and I think they just really had no idea. At all, they're like Electra and Sire, and you know, like they, they. Well, well, Sire though. I mean, Sire had the Ramones and the Talking Heads, and Sire was you know Seymour Echo Stein. The Bunny Man. Yeah, Sire, Sire knew what to do with with. Kind Electra of, though, they had I mean some crazy stuff too. Yeah, but Arista. I mean, I don't think yeah, Arista. It, in nineteen. I don't know anything about them other than I know what their logo looks like. Right. I don't think I don't think they had any clue what to do with a New Zealand. Yeah, you know. the, the, apparently somebody from Arista like went to New Zealand. But they were like, "Holy cow! There's some amazing stuff going on here." Right. Let's sign the straight I jacket. I guess, fits. or like somebody sent them. So who knows how it works? Right. And so, you, you know, I mean, this is a this is a beautiful song that I God, love. I hope so, Mike. I love it. I mean, and in, in we talk about the progression of because the world looks red wasn't a beautiful song. Well, th- this is this is. A different kind of beauty. It is. It, yeah, it's still it's still got its own beauty. Um, but this was, I guess, a ballad. I don't know. I don't even know how you want to classify it. But it's a be- we'll play it. And we'll, we'll, well talk about it. Afterwards. It's a beautiful song that, in some ways, I think suffers from the 1990 era production. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like overwrought, but it just it sounds of its time, which is a little bit of a shame. And maybe that's what. Well, was... maybe Arista like wanted to tweak it. Right. Maybe it sounded right. amazing when Arista got it. Right. And they spoiled it with right. their treatments. I think it's possible. So anyway, let's. let's... Hence indie rock. Exactly. Leave, leave the bands 
alone. Right. Do it yourself. It would have been much <laughs> yeah. better. Um, Just leave it alone. If you don't like it, say, sorry, guys. But don't it, fix it for them. But even still, it's a, it's a beautiful song from Straight Jack. If it's second record called Melt, the song is called Down in Splendor. And my thinking is, in a different universe, this would have been a huge, huge hit. And listen to it. My theory is, this was a big influence on bands like Radiohead. It just came a few years too early. So, anyway, here we go. Down in Splendor. Straight Jacket. Fantastic. Straight Jacket Fits. Blinded in the white light and the 
Oh, Mr. Ghost. Mr. Ghost getting involved now. He loves that song, huh? Yeah. He likes dreamy pop. Yeah. Oasis would have killed for a song, that kid. Seriously. I mean, what kind of universe do we live in that that song was not a huge hit? Well, I mean, it was 1990, I guess. It came too early. It came like six or seven years too early, I think. Yeah. But, uh... You got a good point there, Mike. Yeah. You know, that's, that's sort of my theme with a lot of these songs. And it wasn't like marketed right. Like, no. Yes, or, no. you know, who knows? Like, I'm sure it wasn't. There's no way it was marketed well. Just not possible. That's a real shame. Yeah. But yeah, Straight Jacket Fits, ending my, my Shane Carter themed three songs on today's it's podcast. It's a terrific tribute. Yeah, well, you know. Maybe we should figure out a way to send this to Shane. Is he we'll on see. Twitter? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's got to be somebody who knows him somewhere. But uh, we'll, oh we'll, yeah, I could figure that out. Yeah, we'll 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 send it along. Uh, he's still kicking. He's still making records, and you know, I'm he's sure a young he, man. Yeah, well, he's you know he's a little older than us, but fifties. Uh, Come on, man. Yeah, well, New Zealand they live to be eighty-five routinely. Yeah. Maybe very we, healthy lifestyle. Maybe we should move to New Zealand. If you avoid, you got to avoid some things there. Yeah, they have their own weird drugs. That's true. That's true. All right, home well, Bob, something you've heard of that thing? Home, home, something? No, home bake or something? Yeah, they've made their own weird. I don't know what they're doing now, but I've never had a bad day in that country out of about sixty. I've never been. That's another. See, we, you know, last show we were talking about places I've never been. We haven't mentioned any places I have been, but. Uh, but I've never been to a New Zealand race course, so they've got great ones. Yeah, they do. That's true. So we'll just fly into Auckland and do a three songs podcast there in a hotel room and then go see some cool bands and go to the racetrack and fly home. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows it's a good way to get out of the uh, New York and Des Moines winter. That's right. That's right. It's their summer, so yeah, well, you know, a few months. Let's let's book it. Yeah, I'll see you at Rick Harton. <laughs> Perfect. Or Wanganui. <laughs> and you can like the great thing about horse racing these days, is you can like right now we can watch New Zealand racing yeah. while we listen to New Zealand music. So Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, take your act international musically. <laughs> we we went uh, we went somewhat international today. Well, you know, four of the six songs were from New Zealand, so yeah. Uh, and I doubt that's going to change. I think we're going to be playing a lot of New Zealand stuff in the next few. Ah, no, we won't. You might, but I might, yeah. but well, I would say in the next ten shows there will be multiple New Zealand songs played. It's it's uh, you know if we're talking race, you know, horse racing stuff. This is this is an odds-on bet. But, I'm not gonna get Japanese on you next week a little bit. Ooh, all right. I like it. I like it. Teasing yeah. the next show. This was a fun one. <laughs> yeah. This was thank a fun you very much, one. Mike. Yeah. It's it's always a pleasure, Bob. And thank you everyone for listening. You've been listening to Three Songs Podcast. Uh twice a week now. Fourth show. Yeah. Here we go. We're hitting a groove. All right. Tune Let's in, hope so. Tune in next time. This is Mike Hogan and with me, Mr. Bob Nastanovich. 
Thank you, Mike. And Mr. Ghost. There he is. And uh, we appreciate you all. Take care.